This podcast brought to you by Earthlink. Hi, I'm Molly Wood, author of CNET's Anchor Desk, and I'm Tom Merritt, author of CNET's The Real Deal. Uh, I just miss Molly. She's yeah. not here today. But I miss her Veronica, too. our producer's here. Woohoo! But hey, you didn't do the date. Oh, sorry. Yes. Uh, it is, in fact, Tuesday, December 13th. See, without Molly here, it all just goes to craziness. I know. Oh, it's hell in a handbag. But when Molly leaves, we get pizza. <laughs> it didn't happen today. No. <laughs> Happy Gray Tuesday. What, is, what does that mean, Tom? It is uh, glad you asked. Uh, actually, I found out about this from Bill, who sent a uh, an email. Uh, he saw the posting on Boing Boing about Gray Tuesday, which is a day when it's sort of a Boston Tea Party of MP3 rights. It, that may be stretching the term a little too much, but there was a mashup, which is, you know, a combination of different songs into one tune uh, of Green Day and... Um, Oh, who 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 did they? I think they mashed it up with a bunch of different things. Okay. Actually, I, I need to go open up the story here, but I have it, and it's awesome. Uh, it's by Dean Gray. Get it, Green Day, Dean Gray. Uh, oh yeah, it was uh, it was mashed up with Danger Mouse. Um, you know what? I didn't even catch that until you made it clear. Really? I just thought that was the guy's name. Well, there uh, there's some it could be there's some pretty great stuff have, in it, this mashup. It doesn't album. include the um the mashup with Oasis, does it? I don't remember. Because that's one of my favorite. It was actually the first mashup I ever heard. Oh, I don't think. Uh, no, I don't think that's this. This is just a, a bunch of remix and, and mashup of the American Idiot. It's called Dean Gray's American Edit. And so anyway, to get to the point, everybody is asked to post the album up on the net and distribute it for download. Because uh, basically Dean Gray came under attack by Warner Brothers when they they attempted to censor the non-commercial mashup album American Edit. Now, the controversy here is that this is a shade different than just sharing MP3s, right? Right. This is taking a work and totally transforming it. And if you listen to American Edit, you'll you'll hear that, yeah, there are definitely sections of American Idiot, the album, in there. But these songs do not sound like the Green Day album. And in fact, you will not be able to replace buying the Green Day album by downloading this album. It's a totally different thing. It's it's a it's a work of art. So the the controversy is over the issue of should mashups be illegal? Mm-hmm. Because they use copyrighted material, even though they transform it. Well, in another note, uh, one of the great mashup podcasts that I listened to, Mashup Town, mm-hmm. they got a letter, a cease and desist letter from the RIAA as well, and were told to stop effective immediately putting out their podcast that had mashups. And so they wrote about it on their blog, and they actually posted the letter that they were sent. And it, I think it's just a travesty because it's such an interesting form. It's like a different way of listening to music, and it's so great. And interesting, interesting, yeah. <laughs> it's really, really interesting. <laughs> it is, and it's sad in a way. I think, and it's, it's like, so people mix music all the time. So where, where do you draw the line? What is the real difference between a mashup and a mix? And what kind of rules do you have to follow? And what makes it illegal exactly? Well, it's a the, very gray area. This, yeah, <laughs> pun exactly. intended. Uh, Danger Mouse's gray album was sort of the pioneer in this when when mm-hmm. they mashed up the Beatles' white album with Jay Z's black album, right? Right. Um, and EMI said, "No, you can't do that." Now, it's interesting. There are rules on the book. There are laws on the book that say you can only sample a, a very small amount I under fair use. Yeah. I mean, and then there's a lot of misconceptions about how long it is and and whatever. The fact of the matter is, it 
there is no law about how much you can use. There are some precedents, but you could use a very small amount and still get sued and lose. So this is ap- against the law. The, the question is, should it be? Right. I mean, are you really taking anything out of the hands of the artist when you remix the work? I think what the labels are thinking, and gosh, I don't want to put my head in the head of the labels too often or I might <laughs> go mad. But I think what they're thinking is this is an opportunity for us to make money. We could come out with American Edit because we hold the copyright to all of those songs. And so if we were to come out with that and sell it, then this mashup is taking away from that opportunity. But boy, it's a stretch, man, because they haven't done that. Right. And they probably wouldn't do that. So you're talking about uh, the the on one hand fostering creativity and fostering experimentation uh, versus the copyright holders rights. Yeah, it is difficult because he could go through the correct channels to get the proper copyrights and publish it legally and actually put it out as an album that a label was selling. Mm -hmm. And he's not, he's doing it this way. So you could say, yeah, a lot of independent artists put out music that's not under label, but they're not using other people's samples. And well, and, and indie artists and people like Dean Gray don't have the lawyers at their command. They don't have a lot of resources to, to come up to go through all these licensings. I mean, my wife does a lot of licensing of video in her job mm-hmm. in television, and it's a full-time job just tracking down who owns what and finding out if you can use it and then how much are they going to charge for it. I mean, it's it's not something that somebody sitting at home in their garage can do. Which is why my dad wanted me to go into entertainment law. <laughs> it's pretty profitable. Uh, so anyway... Happy Great Tuesday, everyone. I know you'll do the right thing, but we're not going to say what that is. A uh, small bit to go along with that. We have a, uh, a voicemail from James in Connecticut on the reason he downloads music on P2P. Uh, hi, this is uh, James from Bethany, Connecticut. I just wanted to weigh in on a quick little issue with the DRM stuff that I noticed. Um, a big reason behind downloading music, and this is why I use P2P clients, it's not necessarily for the money, but for the convenience. I mean, I could go to the store and buy a bunch of CDs, but I'd have to go to the store, and I'm lazy, and that's too much work. So when presented with the ability to just download it all without leaving my chair, and that's what I do. And um, I recently tried iTunes, and it worked so well, and now I use that instead of P2P, just because of the convenience. And what a lot of the companies might not realize is that when they put these crazy DRM restrictions and the CDs with the DRM restrictions is actually making the convenience balance even worse in favor of downloading. So CDs are just a real pain in the neck to even use now, which makes downloading that much more favorable. So I just want to see what you guys thought of that idea. Uh, Thanks. See you later. I think James has kind of summed it up for a lot of people, actually. Well, that's exactly what I did. I used to download on P2P, and then I found iTunes and started using that. And I liked the convenience of it, and I liked how well it worked. Mm-hmm. And, But, you know, there's still a lot of restrictions that go with it. So it's kind of up to you. And, it, you know, there's, and that's not just about iTunes. It's Rhapsody, Napster, any, there's a lot of music services out there. MTV is jumping on the bandwagon. They're going to get together with Microsoft, have their own music service. We don't know what it will be like, but they all have various restrictions. They all have copyright protection. You can't play everything on every machine. 
it, I mean, it's so much worse than the days of the cylinder versus the, the platter, right? I mean, there's 15 or more formats and there's tons of different music players. And we, we have a whole chart on CNET.com that we had to put together just to make sense to of what it. music will go with what player. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tricky subject. And I I know somebody out there can can jump in and and make a killing by doing it right. It's just that nobody's willing to take the risk. Well, Steve Jobs has been the closest, frankly, to taking the risk of saying, you know what, I'm going to buck the system a little bit and I'm going to make some some money. But you you can't do it without the uh, the main label's cooperation, and they're withholding that. Right. There's always MP3, but yeah, it's not always so legal. Unless you're all of mp3.com. Uh, big news today. Xbox 360's file system has been decoded. Saw this on the register. Actually, Tim Moynihan here in the building sent this to me. Uh, a group calling itself Pi has posted source code for a utility that allows the disk's files in the Xbox 360 to be extracted and displayed as raw data. So oh, that's this- funny. I was just about to ask, so what would you do with it after that? And the next line is, the group admits there's not much that can be done with it beyond explore the file system structure. Well, but remember back to when the Xbox came out and uh, Bunny Huang was the first one to crack it. And at first there wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't able to do much with it either, but eventually it led to being able to hack the Xbox in all kinds of fun ways. Right. Uh, and turn it into a Linux box and, and basically take advantage of the power of that box. Now they've gone farther. Microsoft has gone farther with the 360 and trying to prevent that, but this is the first step. Somebody has got down into the file system that was encrypted. And so once you get into the file system, then you can start poking around and finding the other ways to get stuff done. It, it, it doesn't do much on its own, but it's the first step in, in being able to hack the Xbox 360. Uh, and, you know, it's going to happen. Give people a burial, barrier. Give people... <laughs> give people enough rope and they'll bury themselves. <laughs> give, people some co- give me some coffee and I can speak properly. <laughs> give people a barrier and they'll find a way to get over it. Yeah, and well, and here's the thing. Microsoft is selling this at a loss, right? They right. are not claiming anyway that they're not making money. I think it's true on the Xbox 360 itself. They make it on the games. So they don't want people cracking the file system and unleashing the potential here because it's basically paying less than cost for a PC if you do that. Right. Which, I mean, that's silly. How many people are really going to do this? In the thousands, maybe, out of out of a market of millions? Right. But still, it's kind of the point of the matter, too. They want to protect what they've done. It's a point of honor for Microsoft. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of points of honor, this this one I really wish Molly was here, and we'll probably bring it back up when she's when she's back with us. She's if you if you haven't been listening, she is in ta- on her way to Tampa Bay. I think she's probably in the air right now as we're recording this, uh, and she will be uh, appearing on a television show in Tampa. She was on a TV show in Boston yesterday, so that's why she's out today, and she'll be on the phone all week this week when we can get her, Ms. World Traveler. Uh, but. You know, we've talked about AT&T and Bell South. AT&T, by the way, being the new name for SBC. Uh, AT&T and Bell South threatening to charge websites to be able to deliver their site faster. All right. One thing that may be a misconception in the way we've talked about it before is the fact that this is mostly about video. AT&T and Bell South both are in the IPTV business, and they both want to have a preferred uh, they want, both want to have a preference for the video they deliver over their own lines. So what they want to do is really charge Google Video and you know other 
broad b- mm-hmm. big broadband heavyweights to deliver video over the internet on their lines and they're building out fiber optic lines right so to them they're like hey we're we're spending all this money putting out fiber optic lines that'll deliver these huge high speeds we're in the business of iptv why shouldn't they get a free ride on our pipes which is very 1970s thinking you know this is the internet what makes the internet great is the fact that it is end-to-end content agnostic and so they are trying to get congress to allow them to build their own internet tier Mm. a two-tier internet so there'd be the regular internet for us slums and then there'd be the fancy rich bell south at&t internet where it would go over fiber optics and Anything that was not AT&T Bell South would have to pay to get carried at a faster rate on those internets. Otherwise, they would degrade it. Now, they're not talking about blocking content at this point, right? Yet. Yet. But they are talking about degrading the service for competitors because they own the pipes. And this is totally against the spirit of the internet. And you can't. You, what Veronica's speechless. <laughs> she it's, it's, it's left her in an angry, catatonic state. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this and this is why we miss Molly because Molly would just be off and running right now <laughs> yeah. with this thing. It's but it is. I just don't know what to say. It's outrageous to think. To it, it just shows a clear case of old t- style thinking. Old timey thinking. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't want to have to crank my phone anymore and have the operator place the call, you know? Well, if a lot of video content was being on this next fiber internet, would that actually speed up our internet, our slummy well, internet, and then, You know what? That's a good point, right? It, it, it could take the pressure off the old-timey internet, <laughs> the old-fashioned internet, the way the internet was meant to be. Uh, it could take some of the pressure off that, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people are in Bell South and AT&T lines, and so they would be on, on that area. But it would also mean that if you have Bell, Bell South and AT&T, you're not going to get all your content at the same rate. I mean, with when you're talking about video, bandwidth is extreme, extremely important. It, right. it can be choppy and, and clunky, and we know that very well here at CNET. So bandwidth is important. And if I'm Google or even Amazon or eBay, I'm going after them. And that's what's happening. Those three, among others, are, are taking the opposite side. So it's going to be a titanic battle. Epic. Yes. I love epic things. An epic battle. <laughs> kind of like, did you ever read the comic series Kingdom Come? No. It was the battle of the superheroes, right? The second, the young, the young kids of the old superheroes were battling against the new superheroes. I know I'm oversimplifying it if you're a fan of this, that series, but Captain Marvel battles Superman. And that's kind of what's going on here. Epic. Epic battle of the internets. And then that would make that quote of the internets be true because there, yeah, there, be, really there really would be more than one. Uh, we've got the uh, winner of the Blu-ray HD DVD contest. A little bit about digitizing books and your calls and emails in a minute. Do you believe anything is possible? At Earthlink, we do. We believe the same company that delivers your lightning fast DSL connection can deliver your home phone service and wireless service too. One company for all your communication needs. Visit earthlink.net and start believing today. Earthlink, we revolve around you. Okay, so I over-teased that. We don't know yet who's going to win, but there's a Slashdot posting today uh, that points to the Disc Association meeting at 20th Century Fox Studios, where apparently 90% of the consumer electronics industry and seven movie studios now back Blu-ray. 
and most of the IAT industry supporting Blu-ray, which means that according to the Senior VP of Advanced Product Development for Pioneer Electronics, there may be no format war. Just Blu-ray. It may be Blu-ray versus old DVD. Or the and next better thing that comes out. And just sort of like, ah, oh, you going to upgrade or not? Because the new Blu-ray DVD players would play backward compatible, the old DVDs, most likely. And uh, and then it's just a matter of, as people up- upgrade, as it was from VHS to DVD, it could be DVD to Blu-ray. I may not be that excited that Blu-ray is the quote-unquote winner, but it is kind of nice to not have to think about a format war and all the drama that it's going to cause in the future. And you know, what? Uh, what the other thing that could make this happen is as people really move to hard drive storage, because I think a lot of the people that care about these formats are savvy enough to just not even bother with them. Right. And, and if, and if this content is made available in high def for download, a lot of people are just going to go straight to that. That could be the format. War. Well, yeah, it hasn't really, I haven't really put it into terms of applying it to myself yet. Like what I'm going to use because in my mind, I'm not going to use either. So I'm not even really thinking about it. Yeah, and that, that's another thing is how many people have high-def televisions yet? I mean, it's definitely on the rise, but it's not a majority of the population. I certainly don't. They can't take advantage of it anyway. Right. So that could drag it out as well. Well, we shall see. We shall see. I do have some high-def stuff on my hard drive that I've downloaded, and it, it looks good. It really does. I wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> Oh, I, you know what? Also, <laughs> via Gizmodo, Trip put a posting in the forum uh, saying Toshiba said in a statement it would not launch the product HD DVD until the last details on copy protection management systems were finalized, and they cannot say when the AACS issues will be resolved, said a spokeswoman. So they're having problems. It does look right now like Blu-ray has the clear edge. Upper hand. But, you know, it's a horse race. Somebody, they could put on a sprint. We'll see what happens. We'll keep you informed. Another little bit. We're going to get into the bits here. HarperCollins uh, has begun digitizing their own books in sort of a preemptive strike. Interesting. We've talked about the case before where Google is digitizing books and publishers are suing Google to stop them from indexing them and putting them on the Internet for people. And HarperCollins is taking the tactic of not joining the lawsuit, not being against the lawsuit, but then going and just digitizing their books and saying, you know what, we're going to make a catalog, we're going to make an index, and then we'll provide, we'll make that index available to other people. And they say they hope to have a few thousand books available by the middle of next year. That is the perfect way to do it because you charge Google a little bit. Google doesn't have to invest and do all the indexing themselves, although I bet they'll want to. I bet they won't want to pay somebody for it. Mm-hmm. But you'll have a much better case if you're a publisher. You could say, hey, you know what, I have it available. They don't have to go do this themselves. Right. Whereas before, it's like, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do our business? How's Google going to do their business otherwise? Well, I think if they don't agree with Google, that this is probably the best way to go about it. Yeah, I I agree. Critical patches out for Internet Explorer. Uh, today, Microsoft published its December list of security bu- bulletins, and there are two, one of which is ranked critical. So get out there and patch your windows. Do it now. Before it's too late. Protect your kernel. Because if you use <laughs> if you use Windows, this is what you get. You have to patch. Another Microsoft story, they're going to start testing a new Microsoft Messenger that includes the ability to call terrestrial telephone numbers. Huh. So not only voice over IP like Google Talk, but a little bit of uh, voice over IP to yeah, well, terrestrial um, numbers. The new beta of Skype has video now. Yeah, I know. It's an arms so, race. Meh. 
But if Messenger is free, although I bet they won't allow this service to be free. Skype it could is be, free, it too. It could be a price war. Well, not for calling to outside numbers. Well, that, but... that's it. it. How much is Microsoft going to charge for that? They're partnering with MCI on it. So they'll be using the MCI network to deliver the uh, deliver the calls. That's how they're doing it. Skype has to run it on their own. Right. Uh, IPv6, this is real geeky, so black diamond alert, but IPv6, which is the uh, ability to put more IP addresses on the internet. There's always been a fear that we might run out of IP addresses. Some people say no way. Some people say that we have to get on IPv6 before there's a crisis. Uh, the, an estimate of the Department of Commerce said that in the United States, moving to IPv6 could cost 25 to $75 billion. Wow. Dollars. So, hey, no wonder they've been dragging their feet on this. Why? What would make it cost that much? Uh, you have to redo all of your DNS systems. And okay. I don't know what exactly makes it cost that much, but I know it's a big project. And I don't know why it would cost more in the United States than in Japan or Europe, uh, except that maybe we just have more DNSing here. Or just maybe the system is so old and and fossilized <laughs> that it takes more to, to move it over. I'm not sure. Uh, Amazon, speaking of indexing, is going to sell access to its 5 billion document, 100 terabyte web index. This is uh, compiled by a subsidiary called Alexa. Alexa powers the Internet Archive's Wayback Machine. So this is a great move on Amazon's part point on Amazon's part to make the history of the Internet available for people to give good business models. Now, it's. It costs money. It's like a dollar per CPU hour and a dollar per gig of storage, and I think a dollar per 50 gigs of data processed and a dollar per gig of data uploaded. So there's there's costs available. This isn't something that just your average Joe can jump in and take advantage of. Right. You have to put together a business plan and, and go into something, but it could, could foster some pretty cool stuff because it's not only the web indexed now, it's the web going all the way back to 96 index. So there's a lot of data there. There's a lot of... A lot of cool things could come out of that. So that's something to keep your eyes on. TiVo uh, causing increase in product placement <laughs> in television. This was only a matter of time. Well, really? You know, and having worked with, uh, in a television network before, this is intentional. I mean, the, oh, definitely. the well, entire they had find, industry yeah. has been trying to increase product placement. Well, they also had to find different modes of advertising because exactly. people are just fast forwarding through everything. I've actually, when I was in college, we discussed it a lot, like what would happen to advertising once people can just fast forward through them. And, you know, people talk about, oh, maybe we'll make slow ads. So when you fast forward, it plays at the oh, yeah, normal that's, rate. I want to see that, baloney. like a flipbook kind of thing. I yeah. just play it at normal speed and have it go by fast anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, this probably makes the most sense in terms of advertising. Now, a lot of the conversations have been how to do it right, how to do it unobtrusively. How to, like, if we were doing a video podcast, how I could have, like, a Coca-Cola in my hand and just be drinking it, and that be product placement. I don't have to refer to it or anything like no, that, yeah. right? So, and no, that wasn't product placement. I just made that up. But what they're using as an example in the slash dot posting is pretty disgusting. They went to the writers of an NBC series called Medium and asked them to work in the movie Memoirs of a Geisha into the dialogue at least three times. So they had the characters go on a date to an early screening of the movie, then bump into friends who had just view viewed the movie, who talked about how great it was. And then uh, I think there's some other uh, mention in there as well. But I mean, that's just... It's like if you hear mention of something more than once or maybe twice, 
you you start to get the idea that you're being played. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's it's not well, it it may work for awareness even if you have a negative. No, it works for resentment. Yeah, but but it, you, do you really want your product or your movie associated negatively with somebody's mind? I mean, that's that's, well, that's what would happen with me. Like if if something's just on, I'm like, okay, that happened, it's done. Yeah. But if something's getting pushed on me over and over again, TV commercials, I can zone out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, this is a commercial. This is face value, what it is. But if there's something within a show, it just makes you uber aware of it and really, actually anti what's being pushed on you and that's how i take it anyway i think more than that too you won't want to go watch that show again because it's going to disrupt the flow you know you want to subsume yourself in it and when all of a sudden you start thinking hey they're talking about that on purpose it it takes you out of the story yeah and it not only gives you a negative connotation of the product but it makes you feel negatively towards the source yeah if if they do it where you don't really even realize it's there you know then whatever that's fine it's just raising your awareness of the product and maybe that's uh, a little bit sneaky but well, you remember josie and the pussycats yeah did you see it the movie yeah the oh movie. i thought you meant the cartoon okay well the movie uh-huh. is like all about product placement oh okay all right i know it's a really cheesy movie but uh-huh. i saw it whatever be quiet <laughs> <laughs> and, but see it worked in the reverse effect on me because they were talking about product placement and it was supposed to be really obvious but there was so much product placement in the film that I was like, oh my god, like I can't handle it. Yeah, it like just it was just, it was overwhelming, and it still felt like product placement, even though it was tongue in cheek. Uh huh. So, yeah, gotta watch that stuff. All right, let's get to our voicemails and emails. Uh, we got an anonymous tip on podjacking. Molly, just listening to the twelve twelve podcast, something about podjacking. Um, it may not be a big deal as far as the control, but. Suppose you have a half million or a quarter million or a hundred thousand or even fifty or whatever number of listeners and half of them are coming through my URL and all of a sudden I decide to call you up and say, look, a lot of your listeners are getting their uh, feed by being redirected through my URL. I now want $50 a month from you or $100 a month from you to continue providing this service. Otherwise, I can point them someplace else or discontinue entirely and you'll lose all of those listeners. There are a few folks out there who uh, might be pretty uh, PO'd about that. And Tom, you don't have to have a hard drive to install Linux. You can do that from Flash, a little 5 gig on that $100 laptop would work. Talk to you later, folks. Love the podcast. Bye. That is another good point that we didn't cover enough, which is, hey, I can you can hijack mm-hmm. me. You know, You could say, okay, I've got your subscribers. I think that you know? was the thing I was worried about. And that is the biggest worry. Uh, yeah, you know what? And the other point he made there at the end was about the fact that you could install Linux to those $100 laptops, even if they don't have a hard drive, by putting a flash drive in them. Of course, that means that the people who have the $100 laptops have to be able to afford to buy a flash drive. Not that they're horribly expensive, but we're not talking Still, about people with loads of disposable income here. Yeah. So, uh, but, it, but an interesting point. Uh, we got a call from Ken in Newark uh, in regards to the Webster's self-submitted dictionary. Hey, Buzz Out Louders. This is Ken Walker from Newark, New Jersey. And um, just calling because uh, I heard about the story with the, with the Webster's dictionary. It was posting kind of a self-submitting dictionary. Um, and you guys were saying how it could be so much better if you would, would be able to vote on definitions. Well, there actually is such a thing, and actually I wasn't sure if you guys knew about it. It's called Urban Dictionary. If you go to urbandictionary.com and look up your favorite, um, you know, kind of uh, slang term, like bling, for example, 
you get to find uh, multiple definitions, and people have voted it up or down, and uh, even pronunciations. So it's a very handy resource in case uh, you come across a word that maybe isn't in dictionary.com or any other authoritative dictionary source. So, of course, um, Google is also a good source of that information. If you type define colon and then the word you're looking for, they tend to have some good stuff in there, too. So, anyway, love the podcast still. Uh, Talk to you later. Now, Urban Dictionary is something that I am familiar with, and it kind of bothered me when I heard the voicemail, because I remember back to when we had that discussion, and I thought, hey, there is something like this, and it was and you couldn't remember it. Nagging at the I back ha- of my mind. I had heard of Urban Dictionary before too, but not for like two years. Yeah, I, I haven't I seen it in a while, it but it still exists, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah, cool. And a cool little Google hack there on the define colon. I had not heard that one before, where he said you just put define in the uh, in the search oh, bar, right, right, and it'll yeah. give you a definition. There's actually a lot of different sites. If you do a search, a Google search, probably mm-hmm. on that kind of thing, you can change the different things that you type into the Google search bar will give you different responses like different years in between you want your search limited to or like taking words out so that you don't search for things like if you've got two words and you know what i mean yeah we have an insider secrets on cnet i think oh uh, google hack the that google does hack a, one. an excerpt from the o'reilly book which is just brim full of google hacks uh we got a call from matt this is actually for molly hey tom molly and veronica this is matt lyons from hamilton montana after yesterday's podcast, I felt like I had to call in and just make sure you know, yes, you do have listeners here in Montana. There are only two of us currently registered on a Frapper map, me and a DJ from Colstrip, but I'm sure there are probably more of us. Just wanted to make sure you knew you had some loyal listeners up here. The podcast rocks. Keep up the good work. Bye. Yes, we do have Montana listeners, Molly. <laughs> She'll listen to this. She'll hear it. Don't worry. Couple emails, real quick. Robert from Tennessee uh, called in to say he listens to, or called in, <laughs> emailed in to say he listens to the Buzzcast faithfully, loves the show, uh, and he hears us talking all the time about the video iPod. What about the Cowon A2? As a matter of fact, James Kim has been uh, playing around with the Cowon A2, and we'll have a full review coming up early next week. But in his yeah. first take, his big thing was that it's not Janus compatible. Uh, which is the copy protection for WMA, I think. But it's just about compatible with everything else. And he thinks the Arcos AV500 and the Creative Zen Vision are slightly smaller and lighter. He really, really likes the A2, though. Yeah, he does like it. He does. He, uh, But the thing is, it's not really a competitor for the Creative Zen or the Creative M. It's like a, it's like a competitor the to the AV500. Yeah, it is more of a full-on portable video player. Right. I mean, the iPod video isn't even a full-on portable video player. It's just a MP3 player that also Happens plays video. Happens to show video. And the Cowan A2 is beautiful. It's a big widescreen. Uh, it's got uh, 20 gig and 30 gig capacity. So it's a little small for a video player capacity-wise, but it looks pretty beautiful. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm interested to see how James rates it. And as far as it working with Jet Audio, that makes sense because yep. Jet Audio is made by Cohen. Email, email from the uh, boys from Boston. Uh, they are from Boston, but they live in New York, hence they couldn't go meet Molly You know yesterday. what? They've actually mentioned that before. Yeah, I completely forgot that. about it. And then, quote, the real reason we waited till Molly left the building to send the pizza is because it wouldn't be buzz out loud without her hunger-induced rants. I don't know if they're hunger-induced. <laughs> they're just rants, folks. <laughs> That's just the way she hunger is. Hunger probably doesn't help, though. And I bait, and, I bait her sometimes, and I shouldn't. Uh, Frapper map up over 700 Thanks folks, it's awesome Uh, Fred in Greenville, South Carolina Joining the South Carolina crew And uh, Lazy Boy in Kuala Lumpur 
which up until 2004 was the home of the tallest building in the world, the Petronas Towers. It was just recently surpassed by the Taipei One building. You are so smart. I love tall buildings. Oh. I can't leap over them in a single bound, <laughs> but I, I've always been fascinated with tall buildings. Give us a call, 1-800-616-CNET. Send us an email, buzz at cnet.com, or post to our forums, forums.cnet.com. There's whole discussions going in there that we just don't have time to get to. I know. People here. send so us emails about things. Oh, should we talk about the bit rate a little bit? Oh, yes. You know what? Before we go, uh, we, we tried yesterday's podcast in the smaller bit rate. In and 64. What was the I, results of the test? I hated it. <laughs> I, it made me really angry. <laughs> it sounds like we were underwater. But the response in the forums has been overwhelmingly positive. That people just like that it's smaller, takes up less room, and it downloads in half the time. And it is possible for us to get a better sound out of the smaller bit rate. We just have to try some different programs. Yeah. Yes. We're working in, uh, in limited capacity here. Yeah, I'm going to give Audacity a try. Okay. And see how that works out next time around. Not today, but we'll put this in 64 again, give people another chance to listen to it and mm-hmm. see what they think. And um, it, it, it kind of grates on me because I do listen to them every day. But um, yeah, that's what the people like. Majority rules. Well, yeah, what can I say? Uh, put your voice in on this, please, at the forums. Forums.cnet.com is the address. And then Buzz Out Loud Lounge is the area. And you'll see a thread in there. Yeah, there's a pretty big one that already exists. So thanks, folks. Bye. Bye.